<laughs> Three, two, one. Welcome to the David the Dog Trainer Podcast, episode one thirty six. Today we're joined by co-host Josh Dobe of Josh Dobe Productions, and also Bradley Meyer of Canine Communications Ooh. Milwaukee. Bradley, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Pull that mic a little closer. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Nice there we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's going on, y'all? You first. Just hanging out, hanging out in Cleveland. Um, I've been talking a lot about how, how nice the traffic is here compared to Milwaukee. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to look back on like all of my years driving through other cities and states. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I, I guess Cleveland traffic isn't that bad. But I have the luxury of like for the last seven or eight years. Uh-huh. What are you laughing about? Nothing, nothing. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I've had the luxury over the last like seven or eight years of like my schedule just aligns perfectly where I never have to drive during rush hour hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know? Yeah. It's nice. No, I was I was telling him because uh, we were talking about traffic earlier and I said Clevelanders literally like say it's so bad, but then the, it's, no, I don't. I don't really think it's that bad. I think there are specific hours of the day and specific routes that can get very bad. Like the 480 bridge can mm-hmm. become a goddamn nightmare sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Um, and mm-hmm. honestly, like if you're taking like 77 south out of Cleveland, that could become a disaster. But I feel like 90 never gets super congested. No, it's not too. I bad. haven't seen it. I've yeah. been on 90 a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but nah, the traffic's not too bad. Yeah, but yeah. I'm I'm glad that you get you know you get the perfect timing though. Perfect timing. Yeah, it's, it's always a good feeling. The leisurely stroll into work. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember in the past when I had to like be at like a 7 a.m. job every day yeah. and driving into work from at the time I lived in like Seven Hills and mm. that was a disaster. That did yeah. suck. That traffic sucked that morning. You know what's really terrible? I was. I was there yesterday. Is Kent? Kent? Yeah. Yeah. The drive from Kent up to Cleveland, like during like the morning, also can suck. Yeah, and I had to I had to be at Kent at seven a.m. for a shoot, and then I had to drive from Kent to Cam's Corner. Yeah. At like rush hour time. Yeah, that was pretty bad. But so I got some new Chula shoots coming up. Yeah, that's what I did yesterday. Was the Chula? Yeah. Uh, they, yeah, they have a university location at at the Kent State. Is campus. Chula local? Yeah, they started in uh, on Chagrin Boulevard. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that was their very first location. Very ever. first one, uh, 2014, wow. and they're about to they're about to open one in Westlake. Oh, Josh, mm. dropping bombs! Yeah. On. <laughs> is, is this a restaurant? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's like a, it's like an Indian barbecue. It's like Indian Chipotle. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, yeah but yeah. they... It sounds good. They do it good. It they mm-hmm. do it really good. <laughs> but yeah. but uh, they do. But they do yeah, it good. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, Westlake, I think, is going to be their ninth or 10th location. So That's pretty impressive. Yeah, I don't know why I thought they were like a national chain. They're trying to be. Mm-hmm. I, I think they they have, they have pretty good potential for it. Hell yeah. Uh, Bradley, tell us about yourself. So um, Tell uh, the people about yourself. I will tell the people. Hello, people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So I'm a dog trainer from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, I kind of work out of my house, you know, small, small operation. Um, I do a lot of private lessons. I do board and trains. And yeah, I've been doing this for about three years. Um, I used to be a school teacher. And I, I hated being kind of trapped in a room all day. So that's one of the reasons why I switched things up for myself. And yeah. Would you teach? About it. 
I ask you that yet. Yeah, I taught a, a bit of everything, kind of bounced around, but my main thing was sixth grade math and English. Hmm. Yeah. Man. Wow. Yeah. Sixth grade, I feel like, was a oh yeah, a ripe age. It, it's yeah. an interesting age because a lot of the kids are still like young and very sweet and kid like, and then some of them are just like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so hormone bombs. Yeah, I was gonna say the the change is happening. <laughs> the change is happening. So what Absolutely. I'm very curious to know is two things. One. What did working with sixth graders in particular teach you that you now have bled over into your dog training career? And then additionally, how has your understanding of math and English also helped you in those areas? That's a very good question. Because I feel like both of those I could look at and be like, well, there's got to be things from both of those areas that absolutely helped and impacted as you moved into something like absolutely. this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, having been, I guess, formally trained as an educator definitely is helpful when working with dogs and with working with clients because I, I know how to explain things and, you know, I know how to yeah. teach and all that stuff, right? But with kids, there's a lot, there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, I always tell people there's kind of a similar movement going on in education right now to what's going on in the dog training world where there's, you know, kind of these ideas and beliefs that if we use predominantly positive reinforcement, it's going to make everything better. Mm -hmm. Right. And if we become more or less mean, if you will, (laughs) with, with discipline, that it's going to make things better. In my experience, the opposite is true where, you know, teachers that are trying to be overly nice and permissive, if you will, and uh, maybe a little bit bribey Mm -hmm. with (laughs) rewards and that kind of thing. Yeah. The kids know, they know there's, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but if it's not balanced out with, like, don't you dare mess around in my class, right? Yeah. Um, they know. And then they act really terribly sometimes, like really terribly. And what I noticed is that the more we would kind of go down that path, the worse things would get, you know, mm-hmm. especially with some of the, the older kids, like the eighth graders and stuff, where they're, they're at that age where they're going to challenge things and... Um, they're going to look for loopholes in the rules and that kind of stuff. When they figure it out that, you know, I can basically do whatever I want Mm -hmm. and nothing really bad is going to happen to me. They just start acting like assholes Mm -hmm. all the time. Not, and then not all of them, obviously, but, uh, it happens. Right. Um, And I think it's very similar with dogs. It's like, yeah, positive reinforcement is great. Creating motivation and using rewards is great. It's very helpful. It's very useful. And it's not, it's not everything. It's not the complete picture. Um, And, you know, a lot of people in my experience have some concept of that with their children. And I, I do have a lot of clients who, who are parents or have been parents in their lives. And they're like, oh, yeah, 
no, that makes sense. But somehow when we apply it to dogs, it becomes like this whole other concept where um, it's like, oh, I never would have thought that giving my dog structure and boundaries and rules mm. would be beneficial. It's mm. like, I don't want to, I don't want to be overly mean or, or whatever, or turn my dog into a robot or something. It's like, that's not, that's not what we're talking about. It's just, it's kind of similar to kids. You know, you have mm. your rules, you have your boundaries, you have your rewards, you have your motivational stuff. And it's like a complete package of working with the kid or the dog. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of similarities there. And sometimes I think it helps people understand the dog training stuff a little bit better because, like I said, they can kind of look back on their own kids or when they were a kid. Like, yeah, I remember like I had I had a really strict teacher, um, but I loved that person. Like there was respect and everyone felt safe and, you know, all that blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. And yeah. <clears throat> like, as you were saying that, I'm just like, I'm always trying to find like different ways to, to word things. And it's almost like, like the idea of using more reinforcement, right. And, and using more motivation and stuff like that obviously is, is fantastic. Right. I don't think anybody would fault the idea of like, is there a way to make things more fun or more enjoyable? Right. right? But yeah. like the, the thing I keep always looking back to is this concept that like rules and boundaries create the framework in order to have the fun. Right. Mm. And like, look at like, look at sports, right? Like if you're a young kid and you're playing, you know, football or soccer or yeah. basketball or whatever it may be, before you could play the game and enjoy yourself, you have to learn what the rules are and where the boundaries are so you could freely go and play that game and then enjoy yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, if you're in a classroom, like I, I look at like stupid movies that I watch and stuff and I recently <laughs> watch, you ever see the movie, as a teacher you might, you might respect this one, you ever <laughs> see the movie The Substitute? Oh, is that Are the you one? That movie? Is that the one where it's like the undercover cop? Yes, yes I have. Seen oh my that. god! Okay, <laughs> first off, go home and watch the movie The Substitute. Okay, the follow-up ones. There's like five of them or something what? like that. Are terrible. <laughs> But the first one is actually really, really entertaining, right? <laughs> and basically the premise is he goes into this, this this guy's wife gets like beat up by like, you know, th this gang that's like infiltrated this school, right? Okay. And she needs to get a substitute to like go in for a couple weeks. And her husband is like an undercover agent <laughs> and basically <laughs> pretends to be a substitute oh, to like Jesus. go into the school, yeah. right? <laughs> And I just distinctly remember there was a, a scene in the movie where he goes into the classroom and it's just fucking unruly, right? Yeah, like yeah. the kids are just going crazy and nobody's listening and this and that. And he just like, he walks in and he's like, this is absurd. And he cracks on, he gets all the nonsense under control, right? Mm -hmm. And then they, fa they fast forward, you know, like five minutes in the movie and then they show this scene where the class is orderly and they're having these like really great deep conversations. And because the students in the classroom feel more safe because all the nonsense isn't happening, they're opening up and they're sharing these deep stories and they're connecting. And, Heck and yeah. again, it's, it's a fucking movie, right? Yeah. But no, but that, that's real. It, you know what I mean? The mm -hmm. premise of it, of like we create these rules and boundaries so everybody understands where to exist within. And as long as we follow those rules and boundaries, we could have these deeper, more heartfelt connections and have more room for the fun and the positive reinforcement yeah. and all of that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And I think existing within that framework in the dog training space is is really what we should be striving for. Yeah. You know? 
Absolutely. And, and what I've found too with, um, maybe more with humans than with dogs, I don't know, it's hard to say, but the positive reinforcement means a lot more when it is a mm-hmm. part of a system like that, because mm-hmm. it's understood that it's not a bribe. Yeah. It's not like I'm going to, I'm going to give you five minutes of extra recess if you stop slapping Jimmy in the face, you know, (laughs) it's like, no, 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 stop doing that. And then when you're doing good things, then there will be rewards because I want to have fun and I want to do cool stuff together with you guys. But also I want everyone to feel safe and for us not to act like idiots to each other. Hmm. That's so interesting, like, in, in, you know, equating this back to, like, dogs, like, slingshotting back and forth with it. You know, we use this example of, like, all of the kids in a classroom feeling safer when there are rules and boundaries, right? And and, and they're not going to feel at this, like, you know, odds of, like, everybody's doing whatever they want to do, and this person might be a threat, and this person might be a threat, and, and nobody has a handle on the situation. You then get to situations of, like you know, having multiple dogs in a house, right? The reason why amongst my pack of dogs, all of them feel safe and comfortable is because I'm able to provide that same type of thing. And it's like, we love to humanize things so much, but looking at it deeper from those types of lenses can help you understand why it's so important to make sure that there are rules amongst your entire household of dogs uh, in order to have them obviously be followed and respected so everybody can enjoy themselves safely. So absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and all I could think about is like, when he was saying, you know, the, oh, if you stop beating Jimmy up, like, <laughs> you get you get five minutes extra of recess. Yeah. Like, like all I could think about is like when you know we refer to that as differential reinforcement. Yeah, yeah, literally. Like, plug the differential reinforcement podcast here. Literally, <laughs> literally, all I could think about is like when you know how you would you always talk about like that with dogs, basically, like you're reinforcing the bad behavior because it's like, oh, if I just beat Jimmy up a little more, like I'll get that extra five minutes of recess, you know? I don't necessarily know that. A lot of people like to equate that to like you're reinforcing him beating up Jimmy, you know? Like I I, I don't know. Under the wrong... You know, connection, right? And in, in, in portrayment of it and stuff like that. Like, like, yeah, I'm sure you could argue that, like, maybe he'll at some point in the future try. Maybe if I start beating up Jimmy again, that the teacher will give me attention and provide me an alternative to beating up Jimmy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I, I and, and I'm sure under that guise, yes, it could accidentally reinforce it. But if you were to look at the like proper application of differential reinforcement, I believe they would move through a cycle of that. <laughs> And they would start off with like, okay, well, if you stop, you'll get a reinforcement. Then the next time around, we remind them of the reinforcement and say, okay, well, if you just don't do it in the first place, you'll still get the reinforcement. You'll still get the reinforcement. And you move along that cycle where it shifts from like bribe to just reinforcement for correct behavior, right? But that's where you get into like the logic behind all of those types of concepts, like differential reinforcement, you know? It's like you're still never addressing the quote unquote underlying cause that everybody says, which is like they have to understand in general that you're just, that's a bad thing to do. Like, right? You them can't up. do yeah. that. Jimmy, <laughs> poor Jimmy deserves to not be beaten up. Yeah, poor Jimmy's Jimmy. having a tough time. We got to leave he him is. alone, okay? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Jimmy. Yeah, sorry. That's funny. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So so that's the working with human side of things. So you also asked about math like, teaching math and English. And English yeah. Right? How have those helped you? So um, 
I think it's it's very easy perhaps to understand it with math because a lot of things in math are very sequential. It's like a step mm. by step. We have to have our our computational fluency, right? Like two times two is, flo- uh, is four. What is compute? Wait, wait, say that word again. Uh, computational. Com- computational fluency. Oh, Just like, can you, you know, define that for like us? Like one plus one is two. Okay. Two times two is is four. Um, that kind of thing. Like knowing your basic math facts, essentially. Yeah. Okay. So right. you have to have a an understanding of, and even before that, like you you need to be able to to count, right? Sure. And know what numbers are <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and all that stuff. So. Um, there's prerequisites, right, for for going from one step to another. And I sometimes will make examples of this. Like, the thing you're trying to get your dog to do right now is asking a four-year-old to do advanced calculus. Yeah. Mm. It's not going to happen mm-hmm. without doing A, B, C, D first. Sure. Right? Because sometimes people just don't, you know, the, the analogies help, right? And they're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, okay, that's, that's too hard right now, right? So, um... Having those steps for instructing something is is a similarity. And knowing, like we've been talking about this all, all week, knowing when to go from step one to step two to step mm, three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not necessarily a specific timeline of, okay, after one week of instruction with your ba- basic uh, math facts, now we're going to start doing the next thing, whatever it is. Yeah. It's like whenever we can tell that the student is proficient in the first part, then we can add on the next part and so on and so forth. So, so there's a sequential aspect to things uh, in that way, which there's definitely a correlation between like teaching math or something like that and then training dogs or teaching clients how to train their dogs for that matter. Do you like math? I Have do you now. always been good with math? No. I was actually a much better math teacher because I was terrible at it when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I like so it. I had to learn as an adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that made it easier for me to teach it mm. because I was kind of at the same level as the kids. Yeah, you went in like an <laughs> you went in an interesting direction with that I wasn't expecting from the like sequential and like understanding like prerequisites and like the progression of all of yeah. that. That I actually wasn't thinking. I was just thinking that more from the lens of like just being good with numbers and mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, you know? Like I, when I was younger in school, now I was a pretty terrible student in general, um, but math <laughs> was one that I feel like I look at the world very binary, like, you know, this equals this, this equals this, right? Black and white, stuff like that. So math resonated really well to me as mm-hmm. a kid. Uh, and, and, and I was in like accelerated math classes before I decided to just totally punt school and just sleep through all my classes <laughs> and then got kicked out of punt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, you know, I feel like that's helped me a lot from like a business standpoint and just like being able to like look at and dissect like numbers that are in front of me and, and all sure. that kind of stuff. But that is a, that is an interesting, cool way of looking at it's the teacher brain, way. man. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which can kind of go hand in hand with the, like, just, you know, learning how to teach, right? That's yeah. just a, a, a more kind of nuanced way to uh, to teach something, you yeah. know, which is cool. Yeah, and about? with with English, it was yeah. it's a, it's a very interesting dichotomy for me. I wasn't very good at teaching English, in my opinion, because that is something that always came supernatural to me. Like I I was reading at a really high level when I was really young. I love to read. I always have. It just it was never ever hard for me. Writing was never, ever hard for me that I can remember, right? So you can imagine with like more of a natural ability like that, if you will, trying to teach that can be difficult because 
I would, you know, I'd be in a situation where I'm like, just fucking write a sentence. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it. Like, just write a sentence and yeah. then another sentence. It's a paragraph. It's not that hard, you know? So it was sometimes really difficult for me to know how to teach it or understand what the, the gaps in the learning there were because mm-hmm. I never went through that myself. So I think you could say the same thing about any skill. Like, if you're... I don't want to say too good at it, but if you haven't struggled with it much, it can be hard um, initially at least to go through and and help somebody else understand something because it's just like, it's just not computing for you. Like, I don't, I don't get it. That's really interesting. I think we look at, we see that all the time in the dog training space. Absolutely. With trainers that like it comes so naturally to them, you know, that they haven't broken it down for themselves to be able to instruct others. Exactly. Exactly. It's really, really, really interesting. Yeah. I think that's why you've had such, such success with teaching people is because you didn't have a dog until what? How old were you? Like 18. Yeah, like 18. There. So like you didn't grow up with a dog. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of trainers, yeah. you know, you know, since I was a baby, I had, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had this German <laughs> Shepherd by me, you know, and yeah. it's like, you know, yeah, it, it's like a natural thing to them, which mm-hmm. I can, I definitely understand that. Like when you're trying to teach someone that this lesson that you, you're in your head is an easy, like, it's just automatic. Yeah. It's yep. like, like drinking water, you know, yeah. like you know how to do it. Like, yep. so it's second nature. So it's really hard to break that down when, For sure. you, like you said, you haven't had to really like teach yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. 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 And like, like look at like, you know, people like, uh, like Caesar and the dog whisper and stuff. That's a lot of people's biggest issue with, with guys like him is that, you know, the, the people that have this like intuitive approach to dog training, you know, where it's just, Mm -hmm. I just kind of work with them and I connect with them and I do it really well and it all works out. Right. They don't have like a really broken down, like understanding of what they're doing. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it's it's virtually impossible to coach an owner through doing those types Mm -hmm. of things. Yep. And it's like, if you watch the dog whisper, some people get it and yeah. they're like on the same wavelength yeah. and they, they they don't have problems. And some people it's like, oh, uh, what? <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah. I got to <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we were talking about it last night, you know, um, just using an example of, uh, you know, when we were doing that lesson with Leo and I asked the owner, you know, what, what he thought of the level. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, to us as dog trainers, something as simple as understanding if the level that you're using on your e-collar is high enough, right? Mm. Or the treat you're using is motivating enough or whatever it is that you're yeah. doing, right? We just, I, I feel like we can get into this state of mind where we just think that's such a normal, obvious thing that yeah. you should mm-hmm. be aware of and in tune with. But mm-hmm. like repeatedly, one of the things I was talking with, with Bradley about yesterday was was I, I've gotten myself into this habit of asking people these stupid little questions that should be so obvious. And under nine out of 10 times when I ask them the question, they are not in tune with the thing that I'm asking of yeah. them. Mm-hmm. And we used the example of the level on the e-collar. I was working with a client and he was correcting the dog. And I asked him, I was like, what do you think, what do you think about that level, right? What do you think the dog thinks of that level? And he was like, well, I, I actually wasn't thinking about it at all, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And the reason why I asked it is because he was using a level that clearly was way too low. The dog literally was pretend, almost you, you wouldn't even think that he was getting a correction, right? Mm-hmm. And that would be something where like when you're working on that on your own for three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, whatever, if you're not in tune with that level, 
you're never going to accomplish anything, yeah, right? Because you're not going to be gauging the motivation of the dog yeah. and getting people to be aware of those types of things and understanding this stuff doesn't come so naturally to some people and you have Absolutely. to coach them through all of those micro details of stuff is so, so, so important. Absolutely. Yeah, it yeah. could it could seem so redundant to you, but mm-hmm. for them, it's the first time they ever thought about it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, even another like another really common example that I'm sure we've seen, you know, a million times is when somebody's got their dog on a leash and the dog starts pulling, and then what is it? You know, they they yeah. just <laughs> well, we just saw that yesterday in the lesson Michelle was yeah, doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I swear, I see it every day, pretty much. And it's like, oh, so so what's happening right here is is you're actually kind of reinforcing the pulling right now because the dog pulls and then you just extend your arm and you walk along and you're like, okay, now we're going this way. And you want to flip that on its head. Like you want to get the dog to yield to your leash pressure. And a lot of people who are used to not really training dogs and maybe having dogs, they're just like using their leash as a tether. Yeah. So the dog doesn't run away. Exactly. You know, and they're like, Oh wow, really? I didn't even, you know, I didn't even realize. And of yeah. course, if you're a dog trainer, it's like, well, yeah, duh. But <laughs> not everybody's a dog trainer, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's there's nothing wrong with explaining something dumb or basic because it's yeah. not it's not dumb or it's basic. Not. That's why they're hiring you. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. We exactly. Should, we, we can't expect owners to understand these things. And it's so funny, like, you know, the concept used with the leash pressure, right? Like every time when we tell the owner that for the first time, it's wow. like <laughs> you know what I mean because yeah. because they weren't they weren't even aware they were doing it. Yep. Right. It's that, and that, why would they be aware that they're doing it? Because right? they're That's not a dog reason. trader. Yeah. Exactly. Right. right? <laughs> so so by looking at all every concept you use, don't ever 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 find yourself in the trap of convincing yourself this is obvious. This is so obvious they should just know. It, Absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. Even Absolutely. if it is literally the most obvious thing in yeah. the world instruct on it and let them know so that they understand it and make those adjustments. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because if not, like these are the, the reasons why people get come up with so many issues, right? Like that lesson we were watching yesterday, Michelle did a lesson with um, this new dog, Hazel, I believe. Um, and I, I remember I spoke with the, the woman on the phone a couple of weeks ago when she signed up and she was convinced she needed to get rid of this dog because it was so terrified of everything now once Mm -hmm. we met the dog the dog really wasn't that scared in the grand (laughs) scheme of scared dogs that we work with but the issue she was having was she would go out on walks and once the dog got a little startled by something it would plant itself on the ground and it would not move anymore right or it would turn around and try to drag her back home and i remember her almost crying over the phone when i was talking to her just like i just want to like do you think there's a possible or or she, she asked something like if we get through the program or like halfway through the program and it's apparent that I'll never be able to take my dog for a walk. Will you please let me know? So we don't waste all of the sessions. And I was like, yes, but that's not, <laughs> I going assure to you that you will be able to take your dog for a walk. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like once we get eyes on these situations that to some owners seem unsolvable mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. to her she will never be able to watch she cannot fathom the idea she'll ever be able to walk the dog but to us we look at the situation and the reason why she is not able to walk her dog is solely because she has been heeding to the dog the entire time. absolutely mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. it that's it it's, right it's simple and I it's mean, like a lot of times like yeah initially like with this dog like we started teaching it leash pressure and there were some situations i remember the dog would put the brakes on and, and she would like freeze up mm-hmm. and i remember at one point i looked at her i was like 
You know, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on, keep going. Right? You got and, this. And she started walking, and the dog bucked for a minute, and then it started walking with yeah. her. Right? And that was a situation where, up into that exact moment, anytime that happened, she would freeze, she would stop there, and she'd be like, I got to pick the dog up, right? We got to go walk back home, stuff like that, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and it's, it's just so much easier to get past. And I get a lot of people, like, they look at that, and it's like, you know, in her case, she had to, like, keep moving. The dog stopping is not an option right now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people look like, oh, but I don't want to be mean to the dog. I don't want to be harsh to the dog. But we don't realize, like, there's only two alternatives. You know what I mean? Or there's only two options. Mm-hmm. Option one is the dog is going to heed to you, and you're going to be in control of the walk. Option number two is you're going to heed to the dog, and the dog will always be in control of the walk. And when you have genetically unstable dogs or fearful dogs, them being in control of the walk means when they say, I'm done walking, or I need to go back home because I'm scared of that trash can over there, you will always be at the mercy of that. There is yeah. no in-between with it. Yeah. And let, let's, since we're, we're talking about the parallels between education education and humans yeah, and children and stuff back. let's say you're a parent mm. right okay you got a young kid maybe four or five i don't know whenever kids start going to, to kindergarten or pre-kindergarten or pre-k or three or whatever and they're nervous right they're like oh my god you know mommy daddy i don't want to go to school today uh, <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what that voice was I, that just came out but anyway was that a wisconsin voice yeah uh, I, no, I think it was like fake british yeah. you know when british people kids. like make accents and it just comes out british like that's not what i was trying to do but um it's like yeah think about how ridiculous it would be for a parent to be like yeah we're not going to go to school you're afraid yeah you're nervous we're not going to school yeah, yeah. it's like no, we're going to go to school. And I'm not saying we're not going to be like, you're not, we're going to school. It's just like, hey, <laughs> it's okay to feel nervous. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I feel nervous when I go into a new environment, too. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's mm-hmm. totally normal. Yeah. And you know what? If it's difficult, we'll figure it out. We'll work through yeah. it. We'll talk about it. Obviously, we, we can use language like that with, with humans. We cannot with dogs. Yeah. So we have to just physically guide them through the situation and then they realize oh this trash can is not gonna murder me now let's look at though let's look at why do why is that such a a crazy concept for parents to not just let the kid stay home from school because i bet you there are plenty of parents out there that would if the kid said i'm scared to go to school okay you don't have to go to school until you feel better about it and i don't know if it's still this way you probably know it would know more than me but the parents are held accountable to if you just let your kid not go to school. Too There's many consequences. Times, there will be consequences for you as a parent. Yeah. <laughs> what do they call? Is there isn't there a term for that? Like once uh, your kid has been like delinquent. Truancy. Two, truancy. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Truant. Truant. So very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another <laughs> example. If if we if we make an analogy to people, mm-hmm. something like that situation you're describing with Hazel and her owner, yeah. all of a sudden it becomes crystal clear. Oh my God, you're yeah. right. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just let my, my, my son or my daughter never leave the house because mm-hmm. they were a little, a little nervous of a new situation. Yeah. I would help them through it yeah. and yeah. we would get where we need to be. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and again, we're not talking about like, you're going to Chuck E. Cheese every day and you're going to socialize <laughs> with everyone and you're going to be friends and, yeah, and it's yeah. going to be six hours. We're just talking about like the basic like need to go into public sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we're talking about like basically not creating agoraphobia. 
yeah. right? Agoraphobe. What you want to explain that one to me also? I, I believe it's fear of going outside of your house, but okay. don't quote me. <laughs> I he's shouldn't gonna, use big words unless I'm he, sure I know what they mean. But. He's, he's going to try to use all these. No, I absolutely <laughs> will not because it's funny. I said like math always came naturally to me. Yeah. Uh, English was my worst subject yeah. at all times when I was growing up. My vocabulary is trash. And sometimes <laughs> I'll try to use like words that I've heard somewhere that I think that I know the meaning to. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll insert it and I'll be like immediately after saying it, I'll be like, <laughs> what did I just say? I don't. Yeah. Think, I don't think that was right. <laughs> oh man. Um, um, so this is funny. This goes kind of hand in hand with something that was sent to me recently that I thought was um, I thought was a very good post actually um, that I want to read and get your guys' opinion on here. Right? Okay. So this is a post by the Collard Scholar, which we've talked about a couple times on the podcast before. She was. Um, Whitney from Outbound Dogs slash Sage's Way Dog Training's like mentor, right? Um, I don't know exactly. I think she's in like Utah or something like that. Don't quote me on that. Whatever. So she made this post that said, food doesn't make you brave, experience does, right? And I'm just going to read the caption to this post. So it says, there's a big misconception floating around that says pairing scary things with treats will change how your dog feels about those things. Dog hates the vet, not if the vet gives them treats. Dog is afraid of strangers, have everyone in the room give them a snack. But here's the truth. The only thing pairing food with scary things does is make those things a predictor of food. This is the equivalent of giving me $100 every time I see a spider. I might start to think about and look for money when I see the critters. I might even get excited at the notion that a payday is on the way. I may actually seek spiders out, something I'd not have done previously. If in the pursuit of the cash, I had a ton of experience with spiders and realized they were nothing to fear, awesome. The money didn't change how I felt about the spiders. My experience with spiders did. Mm. But... If in pursuit of the money, I found one had snuck up on me and was crawling on my neck, I'd panic. My skin is crawling just thinking about it. I'd likely stop engaging in the game, and I might even stop trusting the person who is giving me the money. Because it isn't the reward that changes how I feel about things. My experience does. And the same is true for your dog. Food rewards are an awesome tool for forging positive associations, but alone they don't change how your dog feels about anything. In fact, using food can result in some major problems if not done correctly. Your dog might get too close for comfort in pursuit of food, which can lead to a negative experience. Oh, yeah. Stuff can sneak up on them if they are too focused on food, which might validate their fears. And you could inadvertently make rewards unappealing if the thing they are paired with makes them really uncomfortable. In order for you to successfully change your dog's feelings about something, you have to give them positive experiences with those things. Create opportunities for them to be around the thing without feeling stressed, coerced, or trapped. And protect their experience so they learn the thing they were afraid of isn't so scary at all. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point, right? right? Yeah, I agree like, with it. Like, like I just made that joke about Chuck E. Cheese. If you overdo it or you're not doing it yes. well it can make things worse, yeah. you know? And some dogs, <laughs> I've I've met dogs, I'm sure you have too, that distrust food because of things like that. Mm. Like if you try to give them a treat, they're mm. like, oh no, I'm, I gotta get out of here. Like something weird is about to happen or like mm. you're gonna try to trap me into a situation I don't wanna be in and that kind of thing. Whereas if we like kind of guide the dog through that situation first and then reward them. And we're paying attention to all that kind of stuff. It's a very, very different picture. Yeah. I think a lot of that. 
I think the two things that I think of when I read something like that is one, something that I preached forever and ever to people, which is, yeah, having strangers give your dog treats is like one of the worst things that you could do, right? It does Mm -hmm. force Mm -hmm. them into this like vulnerable position where you coerce them with the food to be near this scary thing. And then once that food is gone and they're no longer distracted by it, suddenly, boom, scary thing. Oh my God, right there in front Mm -hmm. of me. You know what I mean? Um, which, which completely ruins the experience. Yeah. The other thing is like, and we saw this yesterday in the lesson with that St. Bernard, when we were talking about stacking wins and like establishing positive reinforcement through good experience around triggers, it, it, it makes me think like right back to lessons like that, which is like, we had this dog that we were working with yesterday. I should say Michelle was working with, and we were, we were watching the lesson and the dog is very apprehensive of new people, whatever, mm. right? And, you know, she focused on training around the new people first, right? Making sure that those scary things weren't going to sneak up on the dog and, and try to do something. Uh, and, you know, the owner was, you know, we were giving her the job of, like, when you go out in public, you've got to be the one that proactively sets those boundaries so scary things don't sneak up on the dog, which makes them then lose trust in you as well as mm-hmm. lose trust in other people. And then at the end of the session, we let the dog off leash and the dog was just kind of wandering around. And approached myself, approached Bradley, approached, uh, I think Bridget walked through the room at one point. Paige was there, kind of walked up to her. And the dog had never met us before. Mm. And you could tell the dog was a little apprehensive, right? But approached, had a good experience, then went away. And then approached again later, had a little bit more loose of an experience, then walked away. And then approached one more time and looked like it almost wanted us to interact with them. And then walked away again. And by the owner right? Controlling the environment going on around and making sure that when the dog does go to approach us, we don't boom, do something really, really scary (laughs) Mm -hmm. to them in that moment. That dog will continue to stack wins, which will build trust in the handler, which will build trust in the new people and help them to overcome some of those things eventually. Mm -hmm. I thought that was, it was interesting. And it's it's just an interesting post because it does kind of, I liked, I think the thing that I liked about that post was when she was really talking about this idea that, you know, counter conditioning things isn't what like the food is not is not what's making the dog accept those triggers and get past them. Right. It's mm. making them pair seeing the trigger with getting something positive, but it's not making them comfortable in the trigger. Right. It is the yeah. exposure to the trigger that's making yeah. them more comfortable, which mm-hmm. is why when people talk like, oh, you have to do the counter conditioning in order for your dog to overcome these hurdles and build positive associations with these things. I always remind them it's not the case. If the kid is afraid to go to school, right, we don't have to give them all these good snacks in their lunchbox every time they go to school. Mm -hmm. They need to go to school and have the thing that they are perceiving to be scary not actually happen. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And that's what will build their positive association with it and that will come from a strong leader in the school having boundaries across the board like we talked about to create a safe environment yep yep and there's nothing wrong with counter conditioning with food or using incentives or whatever but it's not it's not necessarily a complete picture Mm -hmm. you know Yeah. yeah i totally agree no i i always think most of the time you you know you've talked to people where hey you know that when they ask, like, "Oh, aren't you going to give him a, a treat for doing that?" Right? And you're like, <laughs> "Like, when we get through it, then we can start adding the reward." Like, yeah, and it's you know, it's just in a lot of cases, like some of the most fearful dogs that I've worked with that have had the biggest breakthroughs in confidence 
it doesn't come from rewards. Like a lot of mm-hmm. them, I probably gave two treats to their entire training process, whether because they mm-hmm. didn't want them or the owner didn't bring them or whatever, right? Circumstances mm-hmm. didn't allow it. Um, but just exposing them to those scary things helped them mm-hmm. overcome that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, you know? and that's an interesting point because a lot of dogs, when they are stressed out, when they are in an environment that's difficult for them and whatever, yeah. they're not going to take food. Mm-hmm. You know, and if they then start taking food, you know, that can be a good gauge of, oh, wow, you're feeling more comfortable. Great. But again, like you said, it's not necessarily the food that create or like the post said, it's not necessarily the food that created that because we have to maybe we have to be in that environment for 10 or 15 minutes. And then the dog realizes, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm actually okay, Like, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. And then they'll start taking food and then cool. Then we can use that to our advantage. We can make it an even more positive experience. But yeah. It's not like, well, if the dog doesn't want to eat, we're just going to stay in the house forever. Yeah. You know, because then obviously nothing will change. Yeah. I think, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a key to that puzzle of exposure is as a good trainer or a good handler or owner, we need to do a very good job of putting ourselves in the dog's shoes and looking at like valid fears versus like perceived or invalid fears. You know what I mean? Mm Because like... Yes, just exposure will help a dog overcome a lot of things, right? Oh, yeah. Like like let's say they're scared of being in a busy environment, right? If I just go into that busy environment and I hang out there for 5 hours, at some point that mental state of them being like I really think something scary is going to happen mm-hmm. is going to start to dissipate a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to kind of yeah. start to work through that and figure out like ways to like self-soothe on their own and mm-hmm. overcome those types of things. Yeah. Um and by looking at that situation and understanding nothing really that scary is going on, they are just perceiving something scary might happen. Um, mm-hmm. I could expose them to that and feel confident that that will work them through that hurdle, right? Mm-hmm. But when you get into the valid fears, it obviously doesn't work the same, mm-hmm. right? Like if we went into a busy environment and every three minutes somebody like jumped on them out of nowhere trying to pet them and stuff like that. I could do that for 16 hours and the dog's behavior is going to progressively get Mm -hmm. worse from that repeatedly happening, you know? Yeah. And uh, that's the missing link I think that a lot of people need to understand is by us controlling the environment, right, and having equal boundaries on both ends of for the dog here's your expectation right now but i'm also going to be the one that handles those kind of scary threats um that is what ultimately makes that process work the smoothest whether you're using food or not mm-hmm. so definitely thank you cool um all right so teacher to dog trainer talk about that progression a little bit of how i went from teacher went from teacher to dog, to dog trainer. trainer well Um, (laughs) I found teaching to be quite stressful. Um, you know, you talked about having a pack of dogs, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine there's 40. (laughs) See, I can imagine that because I've been in a room with 40 dogs many a time. But imagine, imagine this. Okay. And it is stressful. So I understand. There's no training tools. Yes. <laughs> There's just, you know, your presence mm-hmm. is the only thing that that maintains that order, mm. right? The thread. Right? <laughs> yeah, because everyone's heard of this. Oh, yeah, the substitute teacher was there today, and it was a crapshoot. Yeah. Everyone was being crazy. It was super loud. The principal came to the room like five times and all this stuff. Yeah. Why? 
it's an unknown quantity and they're only there for a day. Yeah. The, the regular teacher, if they're doing a, a good job and that doesn't necessarily mean they're crazy strict, everyone has their own style, but if they're, if they're doing a good job, it's going to be a safe controlled environment for everybody. Right. And yeah. the kids will know when that's not present. <laughs> Here we go. Like, <laughs> you know, um, so that all day and not every teacher has this for me, I was in the same classroom all day. You know, sometimes you move around or sometimes the kids switch more often and whatnot, especially in middle school. But I was in the same room all day. Um, I had two classes, so there were occasional switches, but it was just a lot, you know. I mean, I was good at it, but like imagine if you had to do every day, five days a week, eight, nine hours a day, Mm -hmm. 40 dogs in a room, no tools, just your presence. And then you're also trying to teach them all stuff simultaneously at the same time. It's like, it's not a great model. Yeah. You know, I was also in an older, a lot of school buildings in Milwaukee are, are a little bit older. So this building was built, I don't know, like the, the 1910s or 20s or something like that. Oh, right. So the classroom um, actually had lockers in it along one side of the room because oh, it really? was that old. And yeah. we didn't use them. It was sure. just for storage. Like the kids had their own lockers in the hallway and whatnot. But the lockers in the classroom, I think there was 18 or 20 of them. So what does that tell you? Okay, this room was designed to have 18 or 20 people in it. Yeah, yeah. And I had 40 kids in my class, you know? 40 Um, feels like a lot. Like, I'm just trying to look back at, like, when I was in school, and I don't think we had numbers anywhere near that. And, like, 20, 26 tops. Yep, yep. And... It, it wasn't actually 40. Yeah. It, I think it was like 38. Sure. And then there's so always, <laughs> yeah, there's always kids that are absent and stuff. But what they would do, at least in my district in Milwaukee Public Schools, is they would, they would have like 45 kids on the list. And they're like, oh, yeah, every year, you know, eight of them don't actually end up coming to this school. Because in sixth grade, a lot of kids will come from an elementary school that only goes to fifth grade. Gotcha. And then, they'll you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like my first year. I'm sitting there thinking, what if they all show up? <laughs> the, there's not enough room in this room already, yeah. Yeah. you know. And uh, so, you know, and I had, I also had like, I didn't have enough desks or something one time, and I was like, hey, so where's this guy gonna sit, you yeah. know? And it was just, just crazy stuff like that, and like. It was hard to move around the room. I did the best I could. I set up the furniture in a certain way, but everyone's just like cramped, packed in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're in there all day, and it's like we're just going to stay in our desks and learn and do stuff. And, and again, that's not the only way to do it, of course. Yeah. But when you have space constraints yeah. and you have that many bodies, mm-hmm. it's a lot to try to manage and whatnot and then and then on top of that there's the discipline thing it's like you really you gotta set the boundaries Mm -hmm. right from the beginning and you have to be on top of it and that in and of itself is a full-time job and that's where it's really exhausting it's not so much like for me anyway and i think for a lot of teachers it's not so much like the teaching or oh this lesson is like so complicated it's like who is going to climb up whose butt today (laughs) and (laughs) what other things are going to go wrong you know uh, so it's just a ton, a ton. And then on top of that, the from the top end, like from administration and whatnot, there is a lot of wonkiness. Yeah. Um, not always. Again, there's good administrators and whatnot, but mm-hmm. it, it's easy for it to get pretty 
unpleasant sure in a lot of ways mm-hmm. where teacher drama yeah like where you know <laughs> teachers feel unsupported or yeah, sure. there's not a lot of follow-through and and that yeah. kind of thing right um so it was a lot and then mm-hmm. COVID happened and I, and then we were we were teaching remote for a year and all of a sudden i had all this time because uh, then we, it wasn't like all day. It was like, you know, you had a couple lessons a day. The kids would come in on Zoom and whatnot. So I had all this time and I would I would do stuff with my dog for like two hours every afternoon. Um, and at that time, I was like, one of these things is very unpleasant for me to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing is very, very pleasant for me <laughs> to be doing. And I really enjoy it. Uh, and at that time, I started looking for other jobs and started, you know, I applied at like a dog training company and, and whatnot, didn't get that job. And then I was like, okay. So I found somebody, um, like a local mentor and I, I started shadowing them. And then I ended up working for that guy for a little while and whatnot. So I just kind of fell into it that way. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I stopped, stopped teaching. I was like, yep, yeah, this is not for me long-term. Don't really enjoy it. And then I started training full-time instead and yeah it just kind of you know there was some overlap where i was like uh teaching for a little bit and then doing it in the evenings and on the weekends i did that for for a couple months and stuff um and then i just made the switch and yeah never looked back since i like it that's awesome Okay. <laughs> what are you staring at me for? I'm just trying to keep the conversation moving yeah. around the table, Josh. No, for sure. Well, <laughs> I, I do have... It, it actually comes back to I, something I was going to say before you... Um, Interrupted. You, you pulled, you. No, you pulled that post up. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the listeners are going to probably hate this because I beat this quote mm. in like a dead horse. Mm. Do it. Mm. Uh, I bet I don't know it. I'm ready. A, he beats it like and, Jimmy. Yeah, I beat... <laughs> God, <laughs> poor, poor Jimmy. We're Jimmy. We're back at Jimmy. Sorry. So, so I'm pretty sure it was him. All right, but uh, I brought it back up when we were talking to the Dog Trainer Podcast guys, Brent Mariano. Yeah, Brenton Mariano. Um, you know, and this is perfect because I'm so glad you're here because you're a teacher. You yeah. know, of, of both people and dogs now. Um, but. Being a dog trainer is not really, it's not really a dog, like, you're not in the dog business, you're in the people business. Oh, here <laughs> we go again. I know, Come I love on. it. I love it so much, but it, it, it's, it rings so true, and I think this is great to have you kind of enlighten on that, because you have taught kids, mm-hmm. and you've taught people, so, or not people dogs I'm sorry so like kids what, and people yeah 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 kids, kids, and, people and, people. And, kids and people and dogs all of them <laughs> um so like transitioning you know like you're learning i guess how, how you teached my god <laughs> teached teached i i'm gonna go back to elementary one school. of us at the table is an taught. english <laughs> yeah not me the other okay, two are taught. Not. yeah okay <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you had to like just listen to you, you're gonna start listening to everything. You'll be like, oh man, these guys. I can't believe I, I can't believe I went on their podcast. I just took my English down a notch. But taught like as you taught kids to teaching, you know, humans and their dogs. Mm-hmm. What's uh, the the correlation between that? Like, how did it structure? 
how you're you're learning plans for your your clients. You know, I because I, you obviously have a really good <laughs> background for that. So I, I want to know how like that kind of switch that molded yeah like that teaching way like molded into i get what going, you're i think i get yeah. what you're asking specifically as far as like you have lesson plans in school yep. yeah that's yep. what i'm trying to yep. say yeah, yeah, yep. so like do you did you right off the rip like think okay i need to create no. lesson plans no. for the dogs no you didn't no and i'll tell you why okay lesson planning is a bit of a joke okay <laughs> and and let's just never go as well as it's put down I mean, yes and no, but let me explain what I mean by that. It's not that it's a joke or it's a bad thing to do. Like in in teacher college, you have to write very detailed lesson plans, like to the degree of it's almost like a script. So it'll be like eight pages and you have to have your educational standards that you're teaching to. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, there'll be this educational standard, grade five, blah, 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 whatever. Students should be able to blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and yeah. it might be like compute ratios or whatever. I don't know. Like, okay. there's a crap ton of them, and there are standards you have to teach. Yeah, for each grade, right? Mm. So a dog training, uh, you know, correlation would be like dogs should be able to sit on the verbal cue, sit. Sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of thing. So you have to have all that, and then. It's a useful exercise to go through, but once you do a lot of it, it's like you kind of know what you're doing. So in order to actually fully lesson plan in that way for all of your lessons, you would be spending probably as much time in a week doing that as you would be actually teaching your lessons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it can become kind of a hindrance too if it's like, oh, what am I going to stick to this script? Like, and and, and think in advance of, every possible situation that might arise and how I'm going to address it. It's, exactly. it's madness, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way that most teachers lesson plan is they'll have whatever their standard is that they need to teach. And then they, they might have an exercise from their textbook that they're going to go through or, yeah. or an activity. You know, it's not that they don't lesson plan, obviously. It's just, it's a quick, like, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. This is my goal. This is how I'm going to get there. That's really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. This is my goal. This is how we're going to get there. Is a lesson plan and a curriculum the same thing? No. Okay. A curriculum is, like, the whole program. I so, understand. for example, like, this is everything that they're going to learn from... I understand. Like, first grade to fifth grade <clears throat> or whatever. And, and this is where I see... I'm. I'm broadening my vocabulary here yes right i was talking about, you know, cause people call all the time and they say well what's my dog gonna do session two what's my mm-hmm. dog gonna do session five or people with the board and train well what do you do every day with them right yeah. and and i always answer and i'm like well we have like an overarching curriculum in which that we need yep. the dogs to understand but past that it's kind of mix and match, figure out where we need to go with things yep. on the fly yep. and everything like that. And I think uh, this kind of goes hand in hand. You were asking about board and train, like send home documents and packets and stuff like mm-hmm. that. That's why I've always been so hesitant to create like such a formalized send home packet because sometimes you can get trapped within it where it's like I create this thing so I have to go over all of the things that are right. within it so everybody understands it so it doesn't confuse them later. But in some cases with the board and train, I might totally go off the rails mm-hmm. and do something different. Or 
in session one, like with 99% of dogs that come in in session one of their program, I'm probably going to work on things in a pretty similar way yep. and have a lesson plan for yep. that. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely the outliers that come in that I'm like, we need to totally yeah. scrap that and do something completely yeah. different, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's, and again, it's really useful to, yeah. Like like we were talking about this yesterday for your one on one programs. Like yeah, the, that's why I was thinking about it. Yeah, you have that flow of this is generally lesson one. Lesson plans. I exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. This is generally lesson two. This is what we're looking for before we progress, all that kind of stuff. So all that's really similar. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. just you know, yeah, there's not I don't really think there is a need yeah. to do that. Yeah. with with mm-hmm. training dogs and and maybe maybe some people do i don't know i mean there's nothing wrong with it if you want to write stuff out i mean maybe some people are just more yeah visually oriented that way and whatnot but yeah. as long as you know what you're doing and why and again i'm going to come back to what i said before if you know what your goal is and how you're going to get there mm-hmm. and you have some flexibility and helping yourself or the dog or the client through those outliers or those situations that can arise yeah to ultimately get to your goal that's all that matters yeah yeah so as long as it's in your head you're good yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so you you feel like maybe like you you can kind of flow all the information to the client a little bit easier though because you know you have that kind of background yeah i would say so i would say so i mean um a lot of teaching is obviously explaining yeah. things and what they are and how mm-hmm. they work in a way that is developmentally appropriate to the learner. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. you're, you're not going to explain multiplication to uh, a six-year-old the same way you would <laughs> to an adult. Yeah, probably. Yeah, mm-hmm. sometimes you would, right? But um, yeah, you have to kind of meet the learner where they're at Mm -hmm. yeah whether that's the dog or the human yeah and that's so important you know especially in the dog training space is looking at the individual situation right and figuring out you know whatever plan you had of what you thought you were going to do what if i scrap that for a minute like what do i actually need to do today that's going to heed the best results for this dog and this owner absolutely Mm -hmm. um the one thing that i'm i would say I'm, i'm i'm very impressed with is you know so you started kind of training and working for somebody else and you did that for you know about a year give or take right Mm -hmm. and and then you've started your own company and you've done that for two years now right so in the grand scheme of things you went from like all right i'm learning the fundamentals of dog training and now i'm working for myself right yeah uh and you know you've obviously been able to build enough of a clientele and in a, a enough of a, a, a structured company where you're supporting yourself off of it completely correct to what you were saying better than you would have even in your teaching days correct. in a very short period of time yeah right so yeah. that's that's very impressive and i'm curious Thank because you. i'm curious how that journey went of like okay when you started working for yourself like, was there a deliberate plan as far as how you were going to get yourself to a place where you could support yourself off of what you're doing, or did it just kind of wind up happening? Yeah, I kind of winged it, wung it, um, made it up as I went, you know. Yeah. Uh, initially, I was kind of working for somebody else part-time as well. Yeah. And that, you know, I did that for a couple months, and that really helped me make the leap, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then it just developed over time, and... Um, 
I, I get more and more referrals as time goes on. I, I have a good relationship with one of the local rescues, mm-hmm. um, and they'll, you know, give me clients or recommend me to people, and I help them out with, with some of their dogs sometime and stuff like that. And it's just kind of kept going. Um, and I think my attitude has always been, I, I obviously I'm going to keep doing this no matter what, because I love it. If that eventually needs to take a different format where I have to work for, for somebody else because it's not going the way I imagined or whatever, mm-hmm. such is life, right? But I don't need to necessarily start there because I'm already doing enough to be able to do what I love mm-hmm. and also pay the bills, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm just along for the ride, I guess, and hoping that it continues to go in that way. And, and I think, you know, I think it will, the more word of mouth gets around and that kind of stuff and the more positive Google reviews mm-hmm. one has and, and all that, it just mm-hmm. yeah can kind of become, it's a, like a self-sustaining thing to a certain degree. Yeah. Some point. The yeah. word of mouth is everything because that is like oh, a yeah. it's a compounding return. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it's it's slow initially. Like your first yep. year, it's like, oh, I got one extra customer this yep. month, you yep. know, from a oh, good yeah. referral or two extra customers. Oh, yeah. You know this too, obviously. Oh, yeah. Right. But like once you get a you know, once you get go from one person spreading the word and sending clients your way to four people spreading the word and sending clients mm-hmm. your way to mm-hmm. ten people yeah. to twenty. Like, I mean, it very, very quickly build up yeah builds out yep. absolutely you know I mean? absolutely yeah this year uh this summer I, I forget the exact timing but there was some period of time where i had just maybe it was like 10 or 12 referrals in the space of a couple months and i was like wow that's that's a lot yeah that's pretty neat yeah and, and it kept me busy you yeah. know which was great yeah do you have any recommendations on like best business practices you have implemented into you know, you being a new business owner now that you feel have like dramatically helped you, whether from a financial standpoint or an organizational standpoint or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I think so. I, again, I, I, I work out of my, my house. Um, I, I do board and trains occasionally more and more as time goes on. I do a lot of private lessons, so there's not much overhead. So that, that really helps obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I think staying very organized is, is helpful. Uh, I, I know some people who do, you know, who work for themselves and they're, they're not really tracking expenses and all this and that. And I'm mm-hmm. like, man, that would, that would stress me out so much, you know, just like having to figure everything out yeah. when you go to do your taxes and that kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, I would, I would want to kill myself. Right? Dive into the, dive <laughs> yeah. into the organizational side of things of, of, you know, both like business related things as well as training related things sure. that yeah. you do that help you. Yeah. So I, I use, um, QuickBooks, self-employed which it's, i think it's like 350 a year yeah um mm-hmm. there there are free softwares and stuff but i had already been using it and, sure. and i'm used to it and i like it and it's just you know you track your mileage you track your expenses you track your income it's all very simple and it also kind of incorporates into TurboTax and whatnot so then you go to do your taxes it <clears throat> it still takes me like an hour same as it did when i had a job so That's cool it's a very very straightforward and then um, on the training side of things, Google Calendar is my best friend. I, I have all my all my stuff in there. You can put, you know, if you're going around to people's houses, which I do, you can put the address in. 
um, I put notes in there for like, this is what we did last session. This is what we're going to work on next session, all that kind of stuff. And it just, it makes it really easy to remember everything because the more and more people I work with, I, mm -hmm. you know, it's impossible to like, if I'm seeing 10, 15 people a week and 10, 15 different dogs a week, and then maybe I have a board and train on top of that or something, there's no way I would ever remember all the nuances of, of what everyone's situation is and what they're going through. And you know, yeah, right. like, okay, when you get back to their house, it kind of comes out, all oh, right, yeah, we did this and da, da, da. But it's nice to not have to completely wing that stuff and um, remember everything you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's so funny is like, that's another one of the things that like the staff like kicked my ass for is yeah. like when I used to train on my own, I would just remember all of it. Nice. <laughs> right. <Yeah. And> like, <laughs> like I would just go in and, and honestly, and this was probably me convincing myself, but I still actually believe it. Mm -hmm. I think the not having too detailed of notes for myself, I'll speak just for myself here. For myself, not having too detailed notes of like what my goals were for next session and like exactly where we ended off with the dog and stuff helped me to better be able to evaluate the situation in front of me and figure out right now, regardless of how much training this dog has had, this is what I need to do yeah. in order yeah. to help move them for along. For sure. You know, I definitely, I definitely still believe like in my heart of hearts that like that is true for me right yeah. but yeah. the staff dude like they would when especially when i first started having people do one-on-ones and stuff they were like mm -hmm. how am i going to remember all this i was just like you just, just do. do it <laughs> like, yeah, like <laughs> it happens yeah you just remember it, and I mean, they yeah. have since come up with they have their own like system, system. that they yeah, use yeah. for like tracking all that yeah. kind of stuff that yeah. makes sense <laughs> yeah i've always just been like 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 even like like I'll do assessments with people who have done training elsewhere or, um, you know, if uh, employees out of town for four days and I need to pick up some slack with one of their board and trains or something mm -hmm. like that. Like I've just always liked the challenge for myself of just being able to like go in and yeah. just do what I need to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, just get in there. So I would say from a uh, good, good big business practices standpoint, um, don't do what I just said. <laughs> do what no, Bradley please, said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I used to do that too. When I first started and I wasn't working with as many people, it was, yeah. it was easier for me to you yeah. know keep track of stuff. But uh, yeah, as time has gone on, it's, it's uh, too yeah. funny. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so I think, so we have a lot of newer trainers that listen to this, this podcast and maybe just maybe a year behind where you're at right now. Sure. You know, so fresh out. Yeah. Or, yeah. or they're in the same place <laughs> where you originally were, where it's like, oh, this is kind of fun. Like maybe I could do something with this, you know? So what's like the, the one thing that if you could go back and tell yourself, like, this was the best thing that you could have done, like. What's the best tip that you could give somebody yeah. in that position? This is a cliched piece of advice, but get a mentor. You know, if I wasn't pushed... I don't think that's cliche at all. I no. think that is no. such an important thing. Yeah, yeah. like if yeah. there are literally... So the, um, the guy I used to work for, his name's Ryan. He, like the fifth day I met him or something, he was like, here's everything you need to do to start your own business. Write it all down. And I was like, dude what the hell <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah and you know at that point it was just like you said i was just like yeah my dog's kind of an asshole sometimes like i want to 
I want to learn more about training. I want to become better as a handler and all that stuff. Yeah. And he just threw all this at me and I was like, okay, I'm going to take these notes and oh, geez. Um, <laughs> and then later on, we circled back to that when I had much more experience. And I just, my, my kind of stance on big life decisions is, and this, I'm not saying everybody should do this. This just works for me. If I know I want to do something, I don't push myself. You know, it's like, okay, I know I want to do that. I'm going to take in all this information. I'm going to take steps to get towards that. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just going to wait until it feels right. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. Yeah. And at a certain point when I was still working with him, I was like, it's time. I don't, you know, it, it was, I forget the exact situation, but it was like we were doing a send home for, for a client with a board and train together. And um, I walked up front to the facility to get some like dog food she was going to give us because she didn't want it or something like that. And then we just got to talking in that moment. And I was like, oh, here I am like by myself talking to this client. And I actually sound like I know what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, and then I realized I do know what I'm doing. Yeah. Wow. Neato. And that was the (laughs) moment where I was like, okay, yep, I'm ready. And of course it was uncomfortable and I was quitting my job and stuff shortly thereafter as well. So there was a lot of discomfort in the process. And sometimes there still is, you know, there's always growing pains, but that works for me. It's just like waiting for that gut feeling of, okay, it's time, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And then yeah, just like having somebody to ask questions of and having like, hey, how do I set up an LLC? Yeah. How do I how do I file my taxes, right? Like how mm-hmm. do I track expenses? Yeah. Um how do I write a contract for for like a training contract or what, you yeah. know, whatever industry mm-hmm. you're in? There are so many little things that became infinitely easier, infinitely more approachable because I had somebody who had already done it. Yeah. Setting up a website, you know. Yeah. And then one of the big reasons I wanted to come out here and shadow with David and Miracle Canine was to learn more about doing social media because uh, that's not something that really comes naturally to me or that I've been super into in my life. And mm-hmm. so it's like I'm still doing that. I'm mm-hmm. still like, yeah, I need help with this. And I don't really know how to conquer it on my own. Mm -hmm. And also I don't really care to try to conquer it on my own because there's an easier way, you know, just like find somebody you can ask questions of and that kind of thing. So I think, I think that's huge. Dude, the mentoring thing, Mm -hmm. I, it's, it can't be overstated how important it is, especially if you're in a position like you are where, like you worked for somebody, but not for a very long time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you're on your own now. Yep. You know, and, and, and like it, a lot of people, you know, like either will go through things where it's like they can get that mentorship by working for somebody for a long time. You know what I mean? But then you're kind of delaying. If you know, you want to work for yourself at some point, you're, you're delaying that process, but yeah. you can learn some of the things obviously you need to doing it that way. But if you early go off on your own with stuff, like, and even if you, go off on your own after working for somebody for five years. Like there are so many new hurdles that present oh, themselves yeah. past just like you're in the stages of like, you know, obviously creating the business, mm-hmm. right. And all of the business side of things and learning those things, which yeah, having a mentor is so important for, but man, like mm-hmm. once you get like deeper and deeper into the training world and you work with more difficult cases and, and, and all this, like there's just, there's a lot of shit that comes with it, man. It's, mm-hmm, a, it's mm-hmm. an infinite amount of possibilities of, of potential problems you could run into and, and, and mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff like that. And having somebody that you could just like call up and be like, 
I don't know what to do right now. Yeah. 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 You know, like I, I, I've, I've been on the receiving end of that phone call so many times from like trainers that I've mentored or just have been friends with. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That call me and they're like, holy shit. Like I'm in this situation right now and I don't know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you ever been there before? And I'm like, yeah, yep. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, sure have. or if I haven't, like I could yeah. sit here and we could we could brainstorm this together for sure and try yep. to come up with some sort of solution on how everybody can walk away like in a good spot from it. You yep. Know? Yep. Yeah. So that is it's so freaking important, man. You know? Yeah. And I would add to that, too. Just that's OK. Like, totally I think is. I think a lot of people in our culture is maybe, uh, you know, a big reason for this is yeah. just like. Scared to ask for help. Scared to ask for help. Like oh, you yeah. have to have all the answers and everything. Mm-hmm. And that's not yep. true. You know, nobody has all the answers. Everyone everyone needs help. Everyone has asked for help before. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's like that. That's how you learn. Yeah. You know? I, oh, I yeah. think that's so important. So important. Mm-hmm. You got anything you want to add? Nothing. Not, not, it doesn't <laughs> pertain to this. So. All, all I can... <laughs> I'm just thinking about the the stuff that I'm trying to learn for like the apparel company I'm trying to do right oh, now. Oh shit! Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And like when I was in Philadelphia, I don't think I got to tell you this, but uh, a friend of a friend, we all had dinner, and she's actually a CFO of a, of an apparel company. There you go. Me. Like, yeah, and they made like 25 million last year, and Woo! I was like, holy shit! Okay, like, that's a lot I'm trying to make like, 25 million. Yeah, I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah, can can we like talk? <laughs> click, 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 click. Yeah, but I I did the the day we got back, I texted her, and I was like, hey, like, just wanted to say thank you if you any information. She just gave me this huge sheet, and Heck it was basically yeah. saying, she's like, do you know your duties? I was like, what is that? Because we're we got we're doing overseas stuff. Sure, yeah. and she's like, oh, that's the tax that you have to get for the customs. Or what's your what's your code for what kind of Blah blah blah. You know, like all this shit that I would have had no idea. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. And it's uh, it's the same. It, pretty much the same thing. It's just yeah. like, wow, thank you so much. Like, yeah. like for this knowledge that I never would have had. Absolutely. No matter yeah. what caliber of something you're doing, like there's always somebody out there that's doing it bigger and better than you. Yeah. yeah. You know. And if you could kind of, if you're trying to take steps and move in the right direction, connecting yourself with those people. So that you could get the guidance you need yeah. to get yourself to level up, it's it's invaluable. Yeah, it really and, invaluable. You know, and I think some like I've I've had thoughts along the lines before of like, oh God, how do you do that? It's like just write an email. Yeah, send a text message, write yeah. an email, DM somebody connect. on Instagram or whatever. It yeah, a lot of times you won't get an answer, or somebody might say no, but then there's a lot of times where you you will get an answer, or somebody will be like, hey, yeah, I'd love to talk, absolutely. So you never know until until you do it. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Love that. And the only other thing I can think about is I, I talked to a teacher and I said, "Teached." <laughs> teached. I'm just sitting the whole time like, God, well, I, I said winged wong. Wing wong. I don't know how to do that. I've definitely said wong before. Yeah. yeah. I wong it. It, it rolls off the tongue a little yeah. better. I wong, I, I wong it. Yeah. I wong it. Is it supposed to be winged? I, I don't know. I, I, I think wong is right. Know. Yeah. Wong. I'm going to say wong is right. Teached wong. Um, awesome. So you, um, so obviously you said, you know, you're, you're here doing the five day shadow program today is day four officially. You know, I always like to, anytime we have a shadow student come in and we do this, like any big takeaways from it, quick plug for the shadow program here on my end. Yeah. Um, How's how's the experience been so far? The the experience has been really good. Really good. good. Like the value for money, sensational first off. Uh, Cleveland, really cool. Cleveland City. Rocks. 
the team amazing amazing and i have to say i don't know if everybody would pick up on this well i think people would pick up on it but something that i immediately noticed and i've seen over and over and over and over all day every day is how calm everything is Mm. at miracle like all the staff members all the dogs no matter who is handling a dog or who's teaching a lesson or whatever everything is so the same and i don't mean that in a bad way it's Mm. just i I think i get what you're saying yeah like everybody knows what they're doing the dogs all know that all the handlers know what they're doing client interaction like it's all so smooth and streamlined and if you've never worked with dogs and clients that can be hard (laughs) to have that happen really hard you know it's like it's a very common thing in dog training where like the, or I don't want to say very common, but it's a common thing where the trainer will have the dog and everything is just perfect. And then you <laughs> hand the dog off to the client and yeah. all of a sudden it's like you just injected them with amphetamines and everything goes wrong. And it's like, wh- why is this happening? You know, So there can be a big disconnect between, between handlers and between teaching sure. somebody how to be a good handler and that kind of thing. So seeing it done on such a large scale with so many different people is beyond impressive. I mean, I, cool. so huzzah that. for, for, yeah, you're welcome. I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome for me to see that on such a big scale and see how, like how a really smooth, well run facility can look and feel like. So I'd say, uh, even if I wasn't learning a lot, which I am, um, <laughs> <laughs> it would be valuable just to be a part of it. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Sure. For, for a week. Um, yeah. And, and I would say my other big takeaway so far is simplifying things. We, David and I have been talking about this all week of like different training systems and different ways to approach training. A lot of them have value and and they're not necessarily correct or incorrect. It's just, you know, what do you like to do? What's effective? Why are you doing it? All that kind of stuff. But something that we have talked about a lot, which I, not that I've never considered, but I've been considering it more and more, is how to simplify and clarify things for clients, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. Because I love the clients that are really nerdy into dog training and they wanna know every little nuance. Like, that's really fun for me because I I feel the same way. But that's not your average dog owner, you know? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? So um, that's something I'm gonna be really focusing on is how to incorporate a lot of what I've learned and simplify my own training system and kind of codify it into something a little bit different to the way I'm doing it now and making it more simple, more clear, mm. more streamlined, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and then taking that to my clients so that I can make them more successful yeah. with less time mm-hmm. and yeah. less like of a mental burden yes. on them. Mm-hmm. That's big. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, the the first thing you said, that's that's really cool to hear. You know, we getting back to we were joking before we started the podcast of like you know like stuff as simple as like being in a house that's like organized and orderly and how much how nice you feel from it we were joking like we're so meticulous and like perfectionate with like 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 putting the appliances (laughs) away and we're done fucking stupid (laughs) shit like that right like like i myself at my core i'm the kind of person that like i need order and peace around me you know what i mean Mm -hmm. for me to feel my best and my most productive like i'm so 
I'm so hypersensitive to like emotions around me and things like that. And they, they really do. They impact me a lot. And I've worked really hard on that, like over my adult life to like improve that and, and, and be calmer and more at peace around chaos and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but like, like I want to be, if I, like, you know, when we do this, like if you, you run your own company, right. Or you work for a company or whatever, right. Like you're spending so much time in that environment and if it's not like at harmony and the people actually like enjoy being there and everybody gets along and everybody's calm and there's not all these spikes in emotion all yeah. the time and stuff like that, like that's the environment I need to be around in order to do my best work. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's not to say there's not issues. There's always, you know, there's always ups and downs with it. But if you could strive for that and put just as much emphasis into that. And this is something I learned from my mentors, right? Is, um, you know, making sure that you're, 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 you're focusing on that inner core of things. Mm-hmm. Um, God, you'll, you'll find just, just, just how much, how much better you could do with things and, and equating it to more of a specific dog training thing, like with our clients, right? 90% of the work with them is getting them to slow down a little bit. Absolutely. Just bring it down a couple notches. Like whether that's an energy standpoint of like you're too frustrated right now, mm-hmm. or you're too nervous right now or whatever it is, or you're moving too quickly with everything or you're frantic, right? Mm-hmm. Getting them to just kind of bring it down to that calm, even space. Yep. They will do their best work as well. Yep. And then mm-hmm. so will the dog. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. And, and I can like from from an outsider perspective, I guess like I've never been to Cleveland before. I've never been to Miracle before this week. It's palpable. Mm-hmm. Like everybody, all the dogs, the whole facility, it does not feel like you are going into a dog training facility in a good way. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it's very calm, it's very peaceful. It's almost like a little, I don't know, like a yoga studio or something like that. <laughs> zen. <laughs> yeah. It's very zen. It's very zen. Yeah. Mm. That's and awesome. The, and it's the same thing with, like you just said it, clients working with their dogs. Yeah. Like something I preach a lot and, and I think you do as well is structure, clarity, you know? Yeah. Like have some routines with your dog. Do things a certain way. Establish a baseline yeah. before you go trying to do the next thing. And I think it's really common with like dogs that don't necessarily like people or like strangers, especially mm-hmm. in the home. It's like, yeah, they can they can be in their bed for a month or two or maybe even longer before we move past that. Establish the baseline. Make everything neutral. W- when you get to the point where the dog doesn't care when somebody is coming over, then moving to that next step that you really want to get to is going to be exponentially easier. Yeah. Yeah. So having like that, uh, that in place in any environment, I think is, is very helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, um, I really appreciate being, you being here, man. It's been awesome spending some time with you over the last couple of days. Ditto. Um, Josh, you got anything else you want to throw in? No, that was great. <clears throat> Answered all my questions, you my wanna, burning questions. You want to give Ooh. yourself some shameless plugs for any of the yeah. uh, Wisconsin Wisconsiners out there? Um, yeah, so my company is called Canine Communication Dog Training. I'm located very close to downtown Milwaukee, service the whole surrounding area. So if you're in the suburbs, if you're 45 minutes away, I don't care. I'll come out to your house or we can, you know, have your dog come to my house and that kind of stuff. I do have a website. It's called canine communication dog training.com. Uh, very simple. 
and it's it's spelled out by the way canine c a you always have to put that in there because i gotta tell everybody miracle canine letter k number nine yeah yeah literally and then i have an instagram as well and it's very similar it's canine spelled out underscore you know the the little line the little line on the bottom the deep line communication dot mke which mke is short for milwaukee for those of you who don't know all right (laughs) there you go love it awesome yeah all right guys well until next time we'll catch you then bye